Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs open their minds to new ideas and concepts that will help you during your entrepreneurial journey and during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to episode 69. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and today we have fourth-degree black belt, Hollis Gracie. Hollis owns and operates the Hollis Gracie Academy in Old Bridge, New Jersey, and he is the president of Kasai Elite Grappling Championship. He shared how jiu-jitsu is a tool that everyone could use in their lives, and he became a good problem solver because of it. He also talked about how loving what you do won't necessarily guarantee you success, even though it's a crucial element for success. My takeaway from the interview came when we talked about perfectionism, which inspired me to title this episode, Balancing Perfectionism. Stick around for my final thoughts after the interview when I share with you the concept of the three rational arts, a concept that can help you or someone you know to balance perfectionism. Stay tuned right after Jiu-Jitsu Tribe's message. Woos. The BJJ Mental Coach Podcast is a proud supporter of the nonprofit organization Jiu-Jitsu Tribe, formerly Live Jiu-Jitsu. Jiu-Jitsu Tribe supports social projects who offer free jiu-jitsu classes to unprivileged children and young adults in impoverished communities, inspiring, impacting, and improving their lives, keeping them away from drugs and crime, creating hope, and creating champions on and off the mats. Your donation helps projects to pay for their monthly expenses and facility makeovers. As a supporter, the BJJ Mental Coach donate all the profit of all online courses and merchandise to Jiu-Jitsu Tribe. For more information, please visit www.jujitsutribe.org. Let me introduce you to today's guest, Hollis Gracie. Hollis is a fourth-degree black belt, and he is a UFC, 1FC, and World Series of Fighting veteran. He owns and operates the Hollis Gracie Academy in Old Bridge, New Jersey. Hollis is the president of Kasai Elite Grappling Championships. Since its founding in 2016, Kasai has become one of the premier grappling competitions in the world. Hollis Gracie, welcome to the podcast. Gustavo, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, you know, hear all all the podcasts, you know, hear the success that this podcast has been getting, and uh, it's a, I feel honored to be here. I'm not going to ask you how jiu-jitsu show up in your life since jiu-jitsu is ingrained in your family, but what were some of your earliest memories in jiu-jitsu? I, th I think it's more like I show up in jiu-jitsu life. <laughs> I was born in the middle of jiu-jitsu life, you know. Uh, yeah, but uh, you know what? Like I try, I try to remember when was my first recollections of uh, uh, jiu-jitsu. When did I start training? And it's so hard because I think I remember myself as early as like two years old, and when I having memories, you know, that I'm being like running around in my father's academy, you know. So. Um, yeah, this is like my first contact, you know, and probably like even before I can remember anything, I bet my father was like training with me, you know, teaching me some things. And how do you feel jiu-jitsu relates to life? Man, I feel that like jiu-jitsu is um, a tool that anybody could use for uh, for their daily lives. You know, I feel like I consider myself a, a, a great problem solver. Uh, because of jiu-jitsu, you know, like it's by constantly being put in like on, uh, on human puzzles, 
then I have to solve those puzzles. And I feel they're like uh, Jiu-Jitsu gave me the ability to, to deal with uh, uh, tricky situations of life, right? And um, not only how to, how to solve problems, issues, but, you know, how to understand human being a little bit better, you know, because the physical contact with human beings, like, you know, you deal, you, in my academy, you know, in my training partners and like the academies that I train my entire life, you grow, you grow up and you meet like people from more walks of life. Right, so you can you can get to understand and be more sympathetic to to humans uh, from across the board. When was the moment that you decided that you want to pursue jujitsu for a living? Do you feel that it was pretty young that you realized that? Honestly, like I'm not sure if I know like the day that I decided like I want to do that because um, right now I go back and I think like, man, what would I be doing without jujitsu? Right. I don't think like, I don't see myself doing anything else. Right. I mean, I see like, I feel like, uh, I'm very lucky and fortunate to, to, to have the career, to be in the field, work in the field that I love. Um, and as early as like, you know, man, maybe like, eight, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, I feel that like I had my 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 family members, my cousins, my older cousins, my my uncles, uh, my grandfather, my father, they were my my heroes. Right? So I knew that I always wanted to be I don't remember saying that I wanted to be a soccer player, you know, like in Brazil every kid at some point they want to be a soccer player. Right. I don't have that, you know, I never wanted to be an astronaut. I never wanted to be like, a, you know, a policeman, a fireman, you know, all those things that like kids at some point they dream of. Um, you know, and I also was never, I was never into like uh, 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 comics, you know, superhero comics, because I think like my living heroes, I have living heroes, you know, among me every day. Let's talk a little bit about your competition career. You got involved with MMA for a while. So how was the transition of becoming a professional athlete? Were you teaching back then? Yes, I was always like, I, I, I was always, I've been teaching for, I mean, pretty much, you know, all my life. I remember as early as a yellow belt, you know, helping like, um, you know, new kids, you know, my, I remember my uncle's, uh, my uncle Helion, he's asking me to help the new kid, you know, go down the side, teach the, these guys, uh, you know, this, this basic move. So I remember that, but like teaching, like officially, like, um, Having, you know, students under me, I remember, like, as a purple belt, I started, like, you know, I moved to Florida. I started an academy there. Um, but at the point, I was too young, right? I was too young. I was too, it was too premature for me to, like, uh, start teaching. So I decided to go back to, to Brazil uh, and pursue more of uh, the competition aspect of jiu-jitsu. Um, and then I was training, competing, and uh, teaching the kids at uh, Gracie Bar at the time. So I was always involved with teaching, right? So teaching was always part of my life. You know, I opened my academy in the central part of Brazil, like in Cuiabá. Mm -hmm. uh, I got married, I moved there, you know, had a, had a daughter. Uh, so I opened my own academy. And then later on, I moved to New York. Um, still te also teaching here with my cousin Hanzo, competing, training for MMA. So always like a nonstop life, you know? That's a great experience to have, man. So how was running your jiu-jitsu program in Brazil? It was good. You know, I feel that, like, even though I was young, I was, like, um, 21, 22 at the time, right? But, again, like, I still, like, my dream at the time, um, 
I had, you know, even though I was that young, I felt, I felt that I have a lot of experience because I've been, I was, I was at the time, I was being on the mass like for since, you know, forever, right? Watching my my uncles teach, you know, like experience, like with, uh, uh, you know, kids helping out uh, with with beginners. So I felt that I have an experience. It was always a dream to to have an academy, but um, but moving to the central Brazil at the time, Cuiabá, like there's nothing much going on over there, right? And I was young. I still felt that I wanted to 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 fight MMA. That was a dream of mine. At, at that time, I didn't like I had competed a lot in jiu-jitsu with the gi, no gi, uh, but I wanted to to pursue an MMA career. You know, I wanted to to have that feeling. Like I wanted to test my my skills, my jiu-jitsu on the you know on the MMA field. So I decided to move to to New York. At the time, my cousin Hanzo, he in high end, Daniel. Ricardo Almeida, they were all, all these guys, they were fighting in pride, right? So, like, these things were booming. Like, UFC wasn't that famous at the time. People knew what the UFC was, but pride was the biggest organization. And I said, man, I've been to a couple events there. And I said, man, I need to fight. I need to fight MMA. Mm -hmm. So that's why I moved to New York. So you're talking about your professional career as an MMA fighter. Just for curiosity, because the foundation of the BGM Metal Coach podcast came from the BJJ Mental Coach, which is helping people to discover what is holding them back from performing to the best of your ability. And the podcast is an extension of that, but taking to another level to live business and so forth. So did you feel that you performed pretty well? I mean, it's a different vibe than the jiu-jitsu competition. Did you feel pretty comfortable? Yes. I mean, I felt really comfortable. I felt that like... Uh that I was lucky to be uh, among very experienced uh, MMA fighters at the time, uh, athletes, training partners. So I feel that uh, um, you get comfortable and confident, you know, depending how hard you prepared, right? So I felt there was, and, and it was something that I wanted to, and, you know, I never felt the, uh, uh, the pressure, the obligation to, to compete in MMA. It was something that I decided to, to pursue and, uh, you know, fought, you know, had like, Three good wins, you know, uh, off the gate, uh, and I like it. I like it a lot, you know. Um, and I, I don't regret a, a bit, you know. It was, it was a good, it was a good feeling, you know. Like I felt that, like I always liked the feeling of, like you know, even from the jujitsu days, to step in on the on the mat, you know, have a feel like you almost like you feel alive, right? You get like a little thing, and then it made to me like yeah, definitely feel felt a little different. It felt that I the that I need to be like a little more aware, more responsible, right? Because if you if you just take if you just go there and play around, you might you might hurt yourself, right? So I felt that like competing in MMA was gonna be a good, um, not only was a, a a personal thing like a personal fulfillment, but I feel that I, in order to be like a, a a good coach eventually, a good professor, I needed to that experience. I needed to be there. I needed to live that so I can pass that on to my students yeah one of my motivations to try mma was that to make me an even better coach i know that there are plenty of coaches great coaches that help people in mma and they never fought before and they can do an amazing job but i just want to have that experience that extra feeling that when you're someone in someone's corner at least you have a clue an idea what the person is going through so I wanted that for me as a coach, plus for my own legacy, and I want good stories to tell to my grandkids. So how long have you had your school in Jersey? 
my school I opened in uh, October 17. It was right about around the same time there when I started uh, Kasai. So how was this new phase in your life as far as you running your own show, your own school with your own responsibilities? Yes, it was time, was time to put the big boy pants on, you know, like, and, <laughs> you know, my name on the line. Um, you know, so it's, it was like, it was, I, you know, it was challenging. It was, um, I remember when I opened, man, I, like I was working so much, going nonstop from everywhere, like, you know, from Hansel's Academy in the, in the city to Hansel's Academy in Jersey and my own. So like, I was like, man, leaving home like early, going, like, you know, probably like staying like 14 hours on, you know, uh, 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 doing that. So 14, 16 hour days and, uh, but it's, you know, it was nice. It was, it was a good feeling because you see all the hard work paying off. Like you feel that like you see like, you know, uh, you're getting new students. The students are enjoying it. They're having a great time. You know, you feed up their vibe, you feed up their energy, you know, and it gives you like a lot of motivation to keep pushing through. So before the interview, we're talking a little bit about, entrepreneurs who are going after people who are going after their dreams but they're not fully prepared and we're talking how not necessarily just the passion the love the desire it's enough to succeed so we have a lot of all the listeners who have entrepreneurs who have people in transition who have people who are about to start a business so what do you have to tell them or people to about to get into this to pursue their dream what message do you have for them Yes, it's, um, man, being a business owner is very, it's like, it's a very tricky uh, uh, thing, right? So like, you'll see a lot of people like, uh, I'm going to talk about our industry, like, which is a jujitsu business. Um, and I believe this happens, you know, like in other industries as well, but here I can, I can, I can attest for it. Um, people say, man, I love jujitsu, you know, I'm passionate about jujitsu. I do well, I know, I know how to teach, I compete well, you know. Now it's time for me to open my academy because I love it, you know. And then, you know, people think sometimes that when it's just like when you oh, just gonna find the store, gonna buy some mats, I'm gonna put some mats on the on the ground. They're just gonna be there. I love it, you know. And I'm gonna be successful, you know. Like man, it takes a lot more than that, you know. Like uh, we, it's very common like to hear the cliche like, do what you love, and then you'll be successful, right, man. Things are not like that. You know, I wish they were like doing what you love. I think is the number one uh, uh, step for you to be successful. You know, that's like for sure. Like if you uh, if you have passion about something, man, for sure it's gonna be easier, right? It's gonna be uh, uh, um, you're gonna be get motivated by by seeing uh, by seeing your dreams getting fulfilled. But you still need to prepare, man. You still need to prepare, like, and I like to say that, like, uh, it has a whole business side of it by by being a business owner, like, uh, especially jujitsu business owner. Uh, you know, just uh, it's not just about being a great teacher or how passionate or how much you love the sport. You know, gotta be so many things involved. Like, you need to clean your mats. <laughs> you need to pay bills. You need to pay the. You know, you need to pay the. You have utilities to take care of. Uh, you know, a lot of times you're gonna have to take care of your staff. You're gonna have to uh, bring people in the door. You know, like you, you can be the greatest guy, but if nobody knows where you are. You know, you're not gonna have the money to cover the bills. So, like, it's a lot. It's really important. And I feel that, like, most of the of the the black belt business owners, they're great 
teachers, great professors, but I don't. I feel that they don't spend as much time teaching themselves how to be like a, a, a business owners, how to be like a businessman. You know, I think this is important. Like to me, it will be like the same thing that if you were gonna go to compete without training. I thought, oh man, I just love jiu-jitsu. I'm just gonna compete. And I think because I love, I'm gonna do well. No, you know, like, yeah, you love jiu-jitsu. They're gonna make like competing easier because you're gonna be able to spend more time on the mat training, right? Therefore, you're gonna, you're gonna do, you should do well in competition, but nothing's gonna say that you're gonna win. Right, because there's like a whole other specs. So it's the same thing. I think people need to understand that, understand about market, understand about like, you know, bringing people at the door, understand about like customer service, understand about all these things. Now, what are some of the biggest struggles that you have faced since you opened your own school and what did you learn from it? Man, I think that my, I'm, a, I'm very hard on myself, right? I'm, a, I, everything I do, I need. I want to. I want to do it well, right? I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. I like. I want to. And sometimes I can get easily overwhelmed by that. You know, like when I'm. You know, to me it's like I'm, I try to implement the perfect system. I try to, you know, try to please all my students. You know, so sometimes like uh, uh, I I get overwhelmed with that. You know, like because I'm uh, I'm afraid that I'm gonna uh, disappoint people. You know, so. But, you know, so that's, so that, you know, I think that like keeps me like me pushing to perfection, but man, what I learned that like, it's hard to please everybody, right? There's no like a perfect thing. Like what's perfect for you might not be perfect for me, you know? So I try like to, to run things here and try to accommodate and please the majority of people. Yeah, perfectionism is also a pattern that I also have, but I became more conscious of it because perfectionism is not necessarily a bad thing. You have the good and not so good of the perfectionism. For example, if you're listening to this interview right now and you consider yourself a perfectionist, you're probably a hard worker. You have a strong work ethic. You don't accept any mediocrity and you like to do things done well. On the flip side is the mind, this kind of mindset breeds high expectation. And when you don't meet these high expectations, sometimes we crash hard and we're very hard uh, on ourselves and one thing that you said about accepting because it comes down to this to accepting one you're not going to please everyone and accepting for you being at peace and knowing that hey you did the best you could with the tools and knowledge you had at that moment if you had more knowledge or whatever you have done differently but now this is all you have so it comes down to acceptance and balancing Yes, for sure. I think like I just I just got an epiphany here. Like I think like perfect, being perfect like is finding a good a, a good balance. <laughs> you know. And as you mentioned earlier, jujitsu is a tool. I like to say, jujitsu is a personal development tool. And if you want to amplify the power of this tool, you get involved with competitions. At least try once. I'm not saying that you need competitions to take advantage of the this tool. Absolutely not, but you can amplify the power of this tool. And I feel that I personally discovered a lot of my negative patterns through jujitsu. And I think this is a lot of people, if you stop to really reflect, a, a lot of people can find out a lot of the patterns that might be reflecting your personal professional life through jujitsu. For example, perfectionism, there was, I have mentioned on a podcast before, 
the perfectionism, the first time I really put it together that I, that I had it, in 2008, I had an opportunity to compete at the Brazilian Nationals, and I really had a really good day. I had high expectations for my performance, and uh, but at the end, people are saying, man, you did great, you, this and that, and I'm thinking, man, what match were they watching? Because I was just focusing on the bad things, the wrong things that I did, and I completely just passed by everything uh, that good that I did. So when I got involved with studying, studying the mental skills training, I started to connect the dots and see like, man, how many things are really reflecting how the perfectionism was not just affecting me in my jiu-jitsu, but in, in my personal and professional life. And that's the idea of using jiu-jitsu as a tool and the competition as a, a way to amplify the power of this tool and discover a lot of the patterns that you that might be holding you back in your personal life and professional. 100 100% I agree with everything you say and it's it's tough it's not it's not it's not an easy task right but uh again yeah you said it all I think you you need to find a good balance a, a balance that uh that's not going to drive you crazy you know but that's, that's not going to leave you in a in a comfort zone not not going to leave you uh, complacent um and man, it, it took us nine months to be born, at least me. <laughs> I mean, things cannot like you know happen like you know, from night to day. Sometimes things need to mature, sometimes things need, needs to take time, and I think it's the same thing. What did you say is one high performance habit that you practice daily that could help in jujitsu, in your personal or professional life? Man, I feel that like uh, um something that I practice is is a little bit like uh I try to think about like this one thing. I don't think it's a little bit of one thing. I think, but the most important thing is like the, I kept showing up to the academy every day. You know, that's pretty much the habit that I, that I created the habit that like, uh, um, you know, by being on the mats, by being, by, I, I literally, I live, I breathe jujitsu. Um, you know, I spend more time on top, on a mat than in my bed on a date, you know, so it's like, you know, and, it, and I'm not just like talking about that, I'm just going to sit on the mat, you know, no, man, I'm there, I'm seeing what's going on, I'm seeing like, you know, I'm paying attention, I, I, I go, I go teach uh, uh, seminars, even when I'm placed, when I'm at places teaching seminars, I'm observing like uh, uh, methodologies of the, uh, 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 of the other school owners, you know, like from anything, man, like from even like the color, color of the mat from like a picture on the wall you know from like a different uh, uh uh stripe system to encourage kids you know so like i'm paying attention at everything i'm i'm a critical man i'm um i'm the type of guy that i go to a movie um and it could be the best movie but i'm still gonna be able to pick up a little thing that they mess up you know uh but i feel that is a good way you know i feel that like i'm always looking to to improve and look like i you know and being like in, in by living and breathing jiu-jitsu like it put me where i am so what did you say is the best advice that you have ever received man advice is is, is that like it's like uh, um one time you know, I don't know if it was an advice, but it was like an eye-opener, right? I was, I remember I, I trained in Gracie Baja for, you know, most of my life. Um, I was a blue belt at the time. I was 17, 17 years old. Um, 
going to be 18 and we had the Pan Ams in, uh, in Los Angeles, right? So at the time I was living with my uncle Helion in the south of Brazil, right? So I traveled and um, I traveled there, I was living with him. So when I went to the Pan Ams, um, Helion told Carlinhos and said, Carlinhos, if you want to put Hollis on uh, for Gracie Bar, you know, the kid's stuff, you know, he's going to win. And Carlinhos at the time, he hadn't seen me training in a, in a, in a while, you know, maybe like a good year or so. So he goes, man, and I was like, I think I was, uh, I was, I competed at the Meio Pesado, like one, I think it was like 85 kilos at the time. And I was as, as, as tall as I am now, you know, like 195, but I was like a little, like I was, I was skinny then, you know, 85 kilos, like, you know, it was skinny for my, for my, for my height. And then like, uh, uh, I remember that guy, look at him and say, you know, you sure, man, the kid's going to fight guys like, you know, with the body type of Valid. And Valid was like, you know, like, you know, at the time he was like the black belt champion at the time, you know, like stuff guys stocky, you know, he's ready. Guys, you know, the kids look a little, and he don't goes, man. You want to use him or not, it's up to you, but I'm telling you who's going to win, you know? Um, so long story short, I went there, I competed, I won the tournament, you know, I won. And then like a, I was a couple of days later, like we're having, we're having lunch and all. And then Carlinhos was like kind of like lecturing, you know, some of his students, you know, about like uh, eye opener, you know, eye opening stuff, you know, how to, how would you, what, need, what needs to be done, right? So you can, uh, so you can perform well. And he looked at me, so like, see this kid over here. He wanted more than anybody in his division, you know. And he went there and he, and, and he won, you know. And I feel that like a good, a good uh, uh, advice that I'll give, like when you're doing something, stop and think if that's what you want. If that's what you want, you know, you, you, you you're going to figure out a way to do it. You know, if that's what you really want, you're going to educate yourself. You're going to train yourself. You're going to, you're going to find ways to do it. Otherwise, you're just going to, you know, be killing time. If I'm just doing that because maybe I think it's cool, uh, I'm just going to do that because somebody told me I need to do that, not going to be the same. You just got, you, you got to want things. And the word balance showed up again because you need to have the balance between the intrinsic and the extrinsic motivation. The intrinsic motivation that, yeah, you're pursuing something that you want. You know that you love it. It's your passion you wanted to do. But you need to have the extrinsic side of that you know that, yeah, there is a reward. Yeah. I can support my family. I can make a living doing something that I like. So having the balance, when people put too much focus on just the extrinsic, just the result, just the outcome, and maybe the intrinsic motivation is not even there, maybe the passion or the love is not really there, and when the tough times come and they will come, people end up cracking and uh, and stopping exactly. and having a school, like being a school owner, yeah, it's having the balance, the intrinsic and the motive, uh, the extrinsic motivation of doing what you love. Yes, that's intrinsic and bringing that fulfillment and the extrinsic motivation. That yes, so you want to achieve more, you want a better life for for you and your family. So absolutely, yes. the balance again. One one hundred percent, one hundred percent. You know, it's like, you gotta, I mean, sometimes I feel that like people are like, it's like sometimes these trends, like you see like people trying to find like, oh, 
I need to find the motivation. I need to find like, I don't, I don't think you need to find motivation. I think you need to find something that you want to do it. You know what I mean? Because if you're like, uh, man, how come I'm going to motivate you to do something that you don't, you don't have the fire within? You know, like, how come I'm going to motivate? You know, like, it's so tough. Like, my, I think that my job here as a, as, a, as a professor, as a coach, as an instructor, is to not necessarily mo motivate my students, because I think motivation is like, how do you really motivate somebody, right? I think my job here is not necessarily to motivate people. Is to try to show them the benefits of jujitsu. You know what 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 lies like somebody that achieved like a black belt and collected many benefits of uh, 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 of the jujitsu life. I try to show this. That I try to pass that to them. You know. So I think that's like uh, you know how I motivate them. But you know, but to motivate somebody is really is, is not an easy job. So what advice would you give to the younger Hollies when you move to the United States, let's say? Not that you want anything different, of course, in your life, but based on your experience that you have lived all these years here in the U.S., what advice would you tell them? Well, that's a tough one, man. That's a tough one because I feel that like if I... I pretty much the same thing, the same thing I tell the kids, you know, guys who are getting here now, you know, like uh, um, sometimes when you change, when you change like uh, an environment, like you leave your country, you go, you're going to leave uh, uh, somewhere else, you're going to have adapt an adaptation period, right? You're going to have a, a, a period where you're going to question the decisions you're making, you know? And what I say is like, stay true to yourself, stay, you know, follow your gut, you know, be focused, you know, maybe like you, you go, you go, you're going to have like that, you know, like I said, like regardless of uh, if you decide to go back or if you go change places, you're going to have another adapt adaptation period, you know, so like let it go, let, you know, wait it out, you know, keep moving forward, keep doing what you have to, keep the eye on the prize, keep laser focused. Now, do you have the habit of reading or listening to audiobooks or podcasts? I do. You know, I have, uh, you know, right lately, and I, I like to uh, uh, listen to podcasts. You know, I feel that, like, because um, I drive a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, so sometimes when I'm, when I'm driving, um, um, I think it's the time for myself. So I, I tend to put, like, you know, a podcast for me to, um, podcast for, for me to get, like, a more, more, more knowledge. So do you have any book suggestion, maybe a book that has made an impact in your life at some point? Man, a book like uh, a book that I would recommend for anybody, it's the book by Jocko Willick. Uh, it's called Extreme Ownership, right? Um, it's a great book. Um, I feel that people tend to find excuses why they're not successful, why they didn't achieve a, a task, why they didn't perform well, why. So they're always trying to find excuses and, and blame others, right? And uh, extreme ownership is about like owning, you know, everything that you do. Yeah. yeah, this is actually a great book. I have listened to the audio version like three times and we're recording this in September 2019 and I had the pleasure to actually meet him personally at the origin camp, we taught a few classes together nice. at the camp. And I told him, like, straight up, like, man, thank you for your book, you know, because uh, some of the concepts really helped me. And there's a concept in the book 
called decentralizing command, which is great for people who are control freaks and they want to put their finger in everything, you know? And uh, I don't know. I, th- I, I have mentioned this in a podcast before. There are some words sometimes in a dictionary that someone asking, do you know what that means? Like, yeah, yeah, I know what it means. But have you ever put really thought and reflect on it? And yes. delegation was one of them. If people ask me, do you know what to delegate and what that is? I'm like, yeah, I know what that is. But I never really reflect on it. And the way that he presented the concept of the decentralizing command, it really mm-hmm. helped me. I'm an event promoter as well, so I've promote, been promoting tournaments for 20 years and how getting uh, different groups and different leaders for specific sectors. So that really helped me a lot in understanding. I remember that I got better at delegation. I was listening to Tim Ferriss, the four-hour work week, and that was the first time that I reflected on delegating. Like, am I delegating? Do I delegate properly? I said, uh, no. So I started to little by little. So this book definitely hit me in a different way with the decentralizing command. So I highly recommend Extreme Ownership by Jocko, Jocko and Leif Babin. Yeah, it's it's a great book. Like you know, um, and I feel that like you know, it's been like I think it's been a couple of years since I since I came across the book, uh, introduced by a friend, and I think it's time for me to read it again. You know, uh, I even I even bought the whole series of uh, the the Warrior Kid mm-hmm. for my kids. <laughs> yeah. And just a quick suggestion to the listeners: one thing that I do when I finish a book. Usually I like to go on YouTube and just type whatever, like extreme ownership summary. So I go there and I just listen, people talking about. Sometimes I spend a week, like a full week, just listening to different points of view. And very often, man, I, sometimes I get some ideas that, man, I didn't pay attention. You know, sometimes when you're reading yeah. a page and you kind of zone out, so that happens, <laughs> or listening to or whatever. So that helps me to absorb a lot the content. So that's a great suggestion for the listeners. Now, what are you currently excited about? What's going on? What's going on with uh, Kasai? Yeah, man. Um, Kasai book. Uh, oh, Kasai book. Sorry. Kasai, Kasai, uh, the Kasai events, uh, man, are, are something like um, I'm overwhelmed by in a good way. Um, we started, uh, we in our, what, we're going, man, I'm leaving lost track. We, we did like uh, eight editions now, uh, you know, KP6, we were on KP6 last uh, last month, and we did a couple of super series. Um, so this is another thing, Kasai is another, another thing, like another project, you know, not, that I'm involved, that, I, that I'm passionate about, right? I... I competed and performed like in the highest stages, you know, in the most prestigious uh, uh, arenas in around the globe. And I always felt that like, man, you know, and like I said, like I said, the same thing when I was doing seminars, I always start to pick a little things here and there from events that I competed, you know, because I knew eventually I, I wanted to, to have a, an event myself, right? A professional event. I felt that like um, I wanted to give back to the, to the Jesus community, you know, I wanted to provide uh, uh, to the athletes the the stage that I wish I had to compete. You know, so like, and, and I mean by that, but like picking like little pieces from one and the other, you know, and trying to combine everything. And talking about from rule set to all the way from rule set to production. 
So what is the long-term vision of Kasai? Where would you like to see Kasai in the future? Yeah, our, uh, I feel that like the most, uh, the big, the biggest struggle that uh, professional jiu-jitsu or jiu-jitsu in general have is to to transcend beyond the uh, the practitioner, uh, right? So like I feel like jiu-jitsu is a market mostly for for whoever. If you practice jiu-jitsu, you're gonna watch the events. Um, if not, you you you're gonna tend you you're gonna you're not you're not gonna be you're not gonna pay attention, right? So like, and I feel that like that's a struggle, you know. That's that's such a hard a hard uh, gap to breach, right? And um, and that's our goal. Our goal is to bring jujitsu mainstream, you know, to have like you know, um, average person watch an jujitsu event and maybe he becomes a practitioner, not the other way around. You know, not a practitioner becomes a, 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 an expectator. Um, and I feel that like we've been, get, we've been getting some, you know, some success with that. And because we have, we have uh, 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 people that do not train, they're, not, they're known practitioners, they've been going to our events and they're loving it. Uh, a good example to that, it's my, uh, my business partners, um, Rich, his uh, his daughters, right? His daughters they don't train, you know, and they don't miss an event, and they bring their friends, and they you know they go there, they sit first row, and they love it, you know. Every event they're there, you know, and they're having a great time, and you know, uh, rich uh, riches uh, uh, office people. Now for me it's hard to say because everybody I know like they, they they train, right? So for me it's like you know, but like uh, so he's a good example, like his office. Uh, uh, Co-workers, co-workers, right? I think on the first event, he brought them there. He gave them some tickets. And now they go on. As soon as we put the uh, tickets online, they go there and they buy it, you know, to support the event. And because they like it, they bring their wives. You know, like my students, uh, uh, girlfriends, wives, they love it. So I feel they're like, we, you know, we, we're doing something, you know, and that's giving us like hope that we're going to be able to, 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 to bring jiu-jitsu to mainstream. Yeah, it's definitely a challenge, and uh, I always talk about, too, the difference between the MMA fans and the jiu-jitsu fans, because MMA, you don't need to be a practitioner. You can just grab your beer, see this guy's hitting the other one more than the other one's hitting back, and people are bleeding and getting knocked out, and it's easy. You don't need to be a practitioner. Now, jiu-jitsu, for the most part, you know, someone has trained jiu-jitsu before, and I don't know, I think they appreciate a little more. I mean, some of the things that I would hate to see. I'm not a big fan of, like, people bringing trash talk to jiu-jitsu. I know it's kind of promoting and stuff, but I'm not a big fan of that. I don't want to kind of get the crowd involved into that. Next thing is the crowd being disrespectful to competitors in jiu-jitsu tournaments like in MMA is some of the things that people say, like, and <laughs> I mean, horrible things people are saying, like soccer games, and they do the same in MMA someone's fighting and they don't care when when they leave like things they they scream at him imagine people doing that to like someone final of the worlds and this person lost and and then someone like is talking smack you know and putting someone down being with negative thought uh, negative like comments and stuff you know i definitely would hate to see that and of course i think that's when uh i think the practitioners they appreciate more than in mma people don't care but uh, um, I would hate to see that in jiu-jitsu. That's why I'm not a big fan of the trash talk. 
it happens though it happens but uh i hear you like uh throughout my my fighting career whether it was in jiu-jitsu or mma or anything like i, I wrestled you know i did a you know gi no gi um it was never my approach right i, I always treated my like uh, uh my opponents with the utmost respect right i never why well, i was never i was never doing trash talking um but I also understand the other side of the coin. There are some athletes now, they feel that they need to to do that, maybe to sell more, to get more famous, to find me. It's, it's tough. You know, it's not my style, but... Yeah, I understand the athletes doing that to promote and stuff. Man, I would hate to see the crowd, the jiu-jitsu crowd get involved in this. Yeah, no, the crowd, I think the crowd... Need, and I feel, yeah, and, that, and that's, I feel, I think that that's definitely the... Uh, one of the downsides of like becoming when a sport becomes mainstream, yeah. like uh, when people sometimes they don't really understand the true what what it takes, what you know, uh, to be there, you know. But I feel that you know, um, I feel that like I I think there is hope, you know. I think there is hope, like uh, because especially here, like you know, we're Brazilians. Uh, you've probably been to many soccer games in Brazil. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We know we know how disrespectful, how impatient, and how rude and cruel uh, 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 a Brazilian soccer fan could be. Um, and to me, like when uh, you know, and I'm guilty of that. You know, I'm guilty of being patient with my team and cursing. You know, I'm not gonna. Uh, I did that, but I, I feel that to me, one time, like I think what it clicked. Like I went to, um, I was in te in Austin, Texas for uh uh and the guys that took me to a ut game right uh you know a college football and man i went there i, got, I was like amazed by how they had like i think ninety thousand plus people in the in, in the stadium to watch like college football you know it was something that's not even professional to me like you know when you're gonna see like uh the maracana like completely packed to watch like you know to, to see like 20, 20, you know, 17, 18, 20 year old kids, you know, play never, you know? So like that was, to me, that was like, that was the first shock right there. Right. And, um, UT, they have a big tradition in, in football, like Texas in Texas is huge. Um, so I think the team was, I think they were winning, you know, but they were, they were, they were at that day, they were like, maybe the heads were in the game. They were, so they were making some mistakes, a lot of mistakes, a lot of silly mistakes. Um, and then I asked the guy and, then, and I felt that like some of the, people in there they were kind of like disappointed you know but then but then i asked the guy like do the crowd ever boo them when they start to make mistakes like that you know he looked at me like what do you mean boo them you mean like boo the other team <laughs> and i was like no when the, no when you the, the fans don't boo their own team they're like no man of course not. how's that gonna help them how's that gonna help them like uh, you know uh, perform better you know, so it was like, man, you know what? Yeah, I just learned something for sure. You know, so, so yeah, you know, like it's, so that's something like that people need to understand, you know, this needs to understand like, you know, man, man if the athlete's not performing, the athlete's not like, uh, he's not doing that because he doesn't want, you know, who doesn't want to win? You know what I mean? So like yeah. something's happening, maybe he's on an off day and, uh, I, you know, I think we need to educate the, 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 the masses about it so i think like those uh, those shows like uh you know like the ufc uh, ufc unleashed how do you call it like the the 24 7 type of things you know the way yeah. shows like you know the background of the fighters follows them you know like yeah. they for like their training camp i think those are great shows because it puts like a a, a soul 
into the you know people see a soul behind not just a, not just an athlete man i remember once i was in canada i was cornering one of my good friends talius Lages. he was fighting in ufc for the title against anderson silva and this was back when anderson was in the top he hadn't lost in the ufc yet and man it was a five-round fight and right at the beginning talius he was tense and even anderson was too and and then the fight ended up it was it was ended up being kind of like a boring fight you know what i mean and i remember we walking off the octagon and there's this dude is screaming out of his lungs and i'm sorry my language uh earmuffs if you have kids around <laughs> we're saying pussy like you didn't fight man and he was so angry so angry yelling at him and i'm looking and i'm so pissed i man yeah how disrespectful this individual needs to be. And people do that. People do that in games and stuff and don't realize the guy is a family person that has, you know, he might have yeah. kids and stuff and might be watching or whatever, you know, but this guy's screaming out of his lungs because he wasn't maybe meeting their expectations. Maybe some people are listening, they agree, maybe they don't, but I think that's too much. Yeah, I think I feel that like things like in jiu-jitsu, people are like starting to cross train more. People are starting to do like you know, uh, you see those camps, you see people like you know visiting other schools. I think like the, I think at some point you have like a huge rivalry in jiu-jitsu. I saw the times of like big rivalries. Yeah. I think that maybe at that time it was good to help like create like the rivalry was good to help like boost the sport to pull like some you know drama but like it was never that one on disrespectful matter right if somebody you know at that time somebody wouldn't say that to a fighter there would be like a fight a fight to break right there and then you know so um but yeah the way i think we never we, ne we never crossed that line yes and we're getting close to the end of the interview so for everyone who is listening for the first time after the interview usually i reflect on the topic that we talked about i reflect on my takeaway and i create a audio from 5 to 12 minutes with intentions of inspiring, impacting, and improving your life in some way. We've been, I appreciate all the listeners who have been, especially the hardcore ones that have been listening to all 69 episodes. We've been going strong since May 2018. I haven't missed one weekend yet, so I really appreciate your support. And uh, Hollis, how can people find out more about you, your website, what you got? Yeah, you know, first thing, you know, I want to thank everybody for, you know, this support. Like, you know, people, when people, like, listen, like, share this podcast, I think it helps, like, you know, grow the sport and bring more awareness to, to what we do, to the community. People can find me on Instagram, Hollis Gracie, uh, Hollis Gracie, same thing on uh on Twitter at Hollis Gracie. I'm on, you know, I'm, I'm on Facebook, my website, HollisGracieAcademy.com. Um, all those. Thank you for your time, Hollis. Your time is much appreciated, man. Thank you. My pleasure, man. My pleasure. It was uh, awesome talking to you. You know, like this hour went by really quick. <laughs> so smooth. And for all the listeners, stick around for my final thoughts. Who's. Let me share with you my final thoughts from the interview with fourth degree black belt Hollis Gracie. If you're listening just to the final thoughts on Instagram TV at Gustavo Dantas BJJ, Hollis owns and operates the Hollis Gracie Academy in Old Bridge, New Jersey, and he is the president of Kasai Elite Grappling Championship. 
He shared how jiu-jitsu is a tool that everyone could use it in their lives and that he became a good problem solver because of it. He also talked about how loving what you do won't necessarily guarantee you success, even though it's a crucial element for success. My takeaway from the interview came when we talk about perfectionism, which inspired me to title this episode, Balancing Perfectionism. Is perfectionism a bad thing? Eh, Not necessarily, as long as you balance it. If you or someone you know is a perfectionist, most likely you have a strong work ethic. You're committed to your goals. You do not accept being mediocre at things, which is a functional mindset. However, this mindset of striving for perfection can breed high expectation. And when the expectations are not met, you take very hard on yourself and it can lead to a non-function mindset. Let me ask you this. Have you ever competed in jiu-jitsu before? If you haven't, think about a scenario preferably related to sports and reflect on these statements. Number one, you have high motivation and work ethic to train and practice, high emotional investment. Then you try too hard to win and thus get in your own way. You fear not winning after all the investment, per se. Two, you create unrealistic high expectations for your performance and end up easily becoming frustrated when you do not perform up to your expectations and then try even harder not to fail. Number three, you tend to focus on results or outcomes of your performance because you want to perform up to expectations. As a result, you worry about negative results or failure causing you to perform tight, anxious, and lack trust. Number four, you don't want to let others down. As a result, you have a fear of letting others down if you don't perform up to their expectations of you. You can't loosen up and try to over-control your performance. And number five, you want your performance to look perfect. You try to avoid making mistakes, causing you to become consistently conscious with your performance. Does any of these statements sound familiar to you? Well, at one point in my career, they all applied to me. I've just shared with you a few statements on how perfectionism causes fear failure during your performance. The content that I'm sharing with you is by Dr. Patrick Cohn in his course called The Fearless Athlete. This is the content that opened my eyes for my perfectionism, fear failure, and the other negative patterns that were holding me back from being my best self. If you are a perfectionist, this audio may help you to understand some of the traits that you might have. And if you're not a perfectionist, maybe can forward to someone who can benefit from this information. Here's the thing. Negative patterns don't disappear. You learn how to become conscious of it. Do you know the negative voice that lives in your head? The one that tells you all the doubts, insecurities, fears, and anxieties? I like to call the dark passenger, whom, by the way, will be your crappy roommate for the rest of your life. And you must learn how to navigate around this voice. I'm going to share with you the three rational arts concept that it could be the click that you or someone you know need to balance your perfectionism and take your mindset to another level, the same way you did for the Team Nova Union black belt, Luan Carvalho. I met Luan short after he received his black belt through one of my best friends, the world-class competitor Bruno Bastos, one of the ambassadors of the BJJ Mental Coach. At that moment in his career, Luan was a very tough competitor, but he was having a hard time shining in the big events. He had been in the U.S. before, and he was planning to come to the U.S. once again to train for six weeks and to compete at the Pan 2015 as a black belt. Bruno contacted me and asked me, Hey, Luan's planning on coming to Texas to train at my academy for the Pan, 
but I told him that it would be better to do this camp in Arizona at your school. His mind is his biggest enemy. I believe you can help him. I said, no problem. I started to implement with Luan the concept of the three rational R's. The first R stands for root, which means the root of the issue. You need to locate what is holding you back. And the key element to help you during this process is called self-awareness, one of the key pillars of emotional intelligence. I asked Luan, and I'm going to ask you now, do you think about what you think about? Think about that. Luan didn't realize how his dark passenger was holding him back. When he stopped to think about what he was thinking about, he noticed that he had a lot more negative thoughts than he even imagined. His dark passenger would tell him, what if you lose? You don't want to disappoint anybody. You don't want people looking down on you. Are you good enough to win against these seasonal competitors? Do you relate to what Luan was going through? Then he became aware of the negative thoughts. He used the second R to reevaluate the issue. So when you reevaluate the issue, you need to ask yourself two simple questions. A, is this a rational or irrational thought? And B, do you have control or no control of it? For example, when I started to help Luan, perfectionism was a big issue. What if I don't win? I don't want to disappoint others. Am I good enough to hang with the best competitors of the division? If you have never had a chance to watch the list of the top 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them, you can catch it for free at thebjjmentalcoach.com. This list was created on all the mental mistakes I have made in the past in different moments of my journey. It's not necessarily a ranking, but there's a reason why I put the mistakes number one and two as focusing on the outcome and fear of disappointing others. They are very common negative patterns. I asked him, do you have control of the outcome? Do you have control what your opponent is bringing to the table? Can you control what people might say? Is this a rational or irrational thought based on assumptions? His head started to spin. Maybe these patterns are not holding you back, but the strategy to question it and to reevaluate an issue is the same. Is this a rational or irrational thought? Do you have control or no control of it? I told him, now that you are aware of the issue, you must decide what to focus on. Do you want to focus on something that you cannot control and is going to hold you back or move you away from your goal? Or do you want to focus on something that is going to help you to move closer to your goal? If you choose a positive route, then use the third R and reframe the thought. When your dark passenger tells you, what if I lose? Repeat to yourself. My goal is to perform to the best of my abilities with the tools and knowledge I have right now. Sometimes your best is enough to win. Sometimes it's not. However, you will be at peace knowing that you did the best you could with what you knew. You might be curious, what happened to Luan? Well, after a few weeks in Arizona, he competed at the Pans, losing in a very close match in the quarterfinals. However, his confidence went way up because he realized that he could perform in the black belt level against high-level competitors. Then, right after, he competed and won the IBJJF Real Fall Open, Gi and No Gi. And a few weeks later, he won the CBJJ Brazilian Nationals in the Black Belt Adult Lightweight Division, a tournament that he had lost in his first match in the previous year as a brown belt. And the rest is history. Currently, in 2019, he has been struggling with visa complications, which have been preventing him from competing in the United States. 
all that because he went deep to find the root of his perfectionism. Then he reevaluated and reframed these thoughts. And you can do the same. You basically have a bully that lives in your head that tries to talk you out of your goals and dreams. And your job is to stand up for yourself and fight back. So if you want to balance your perfectionism, not just in jiu-jitsu, but in any area of your life, use the three rational R's daily to find the root of the issue, to reevaluate the self-limiting beliefs that might be holding you back, and to reframe them. Oh, We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. But the lesson doesn't end here. Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com. 